Hi, welcome back to Two Sober Chicks. My name is Julie. And I'm Lisa. And we're so happy that you're with us today. This is our podcast. We just share our feelings, thoughts, and opinions. And if you don't like it, too fucking bad and don't listen. <laughs> that was <laughs> That's a lot. my disclaimer. It's my loving disclaimer. That's good. That was a lot nicer than what I was going to say. So. Love and tolerance is our code. <laughs> Supposed to be anyway. <sighs> Still working on it. Still working on it. Oh, what's our topic today, Julie? Our topic today. Let's get right into it. Right down to business. Yeah. Topic jar. We are sitting in my living room um, with uh, two sleeping chihuahuas. Oh, yeah. Okay, so this really bothered me when I first heard it in the room. When people told me to stick with the winners. That was a horrible thing to say to somebody. Like, it just reminded me of high school and, like, the Um, losers. Like, those are the losers over there. The cliques and things like that. Yeah, I didn't know what it meant for a little while. Okay. That's good. So, if you're a newcomer and you hear a saying like this, it's not a slogan, but if you hear a saying like this, um, I would say the best advice is to go to your sponsor and ask your sponsor, what does this mean? And if you don't have a sponsor, nice. then um, maybe talk to somebody who's been around for a while who has like a lot of sobriety and they're, you know, a well-adjusted person. Because we've talked about this before, you can have a lot of sobriety and still be totally fucked up. Um, so you want somebody who is living life on life's terms and, you know, is able to handle things uh, like calamity and injustice and they're still on an even keel and they're sober and they don't drink um go up to that person and say hey what the fuck did they mean by this i was really what's with you elitist bastards (laughs) so um what would you say now if someone well i told a new sponsee this exact thing not too long ago because as is evidenced many times by people that get close in treatment and they become very tight because of their shared experiences. And then as we know, I don't know what the numbers are, but the majority of people that go to treatment don't do so well. Right. And so this group of eight or 10 or five people that are in treatment become really tight. And then as the relapse happens, everybody starts to go towards that person. And now they get start to get caught up in the drama. And then because they have this bond with them, they like flee their own lives and go to rescue these other people. And she found herself in a situation like that. And I felt like she reacted instead of responded. She literally dropped everything, drove hours, went to check on this person, hadn't heard from them. She was smart in that she brought someone with her from that group who was still sober. Mm -hmm. But I said to her, "Um, what's the saying? Stick with the winners. Yeah. And I said, what that means is that these are not losers, but your sobriety is very precarious right now. And if you don't surround yourself with people who are quote unquote winning at life and at sobriety, your sobriety is in danger. Just like if you want to become a great tennis player, play with people that are better than you. If you want to learn something, go and be with people that know more than you. Mm -hmm. So at this point in her sobriety, I advised her to be around people with very strong sobriety. Yeah. That's what it meant when I said that to her. Because when you think about it, for people who um, are in treatment or rehab or they're new to AA, One of the things that we may have lost is friends, family members. Mm. So we come in isolated and alone um, because we've burnt those relationships down to the ground. And then, especially if you're in rehab or treatment, you're there for several months often. Um, So, and you're very vulnerable and you're all sharing deep things. Mm -hmm. Um, So it forms a, a tight bond. And you don't want to lose that. You just got these people back. So I think that is a huge risk factor for people um, when they first come into um, sobriety. Um, 
they're sticking with these people because they don't want to betray them and they don't want to let them down and they want to support them. But, you know, I always say to people, you can't want somebody else's sobriety more than they do. So you can't make them sober. Mm -hmm. You can't make them want it, but you can lead by example. Um, Some advice that I've given sponsees in the past who have gone through this same thing are, um, you don't have to let go of that friendship, but you need to set boundaries. So how about when, let's say, Candace calls you and says, I really need to talk to you, say, great, I'll be at the meeting. It starts at 8. Why don't you meet me at 7.30 at the meeting? Then you're in a safe place. There are other people around, and there's no booze being served. So, And then after, you know, if it's a a difficult situation, you're going into a meeting with other sober people who you can talk about. But, yeah, setting boundaries is something that we definitely have to do. And for me, that's what that phrase brings up. yeah, it does sound, it can sound negative and yeah. harsh. So I've got a lot of things, especially things that come out of my mouth. Um, I get I get told that a lot, like, oh, you're, you're very strict or you're very harsh. But for me, um, the greatest thing I think my sponsor ever said to me was, I care more about saving your life than I do about sparing your feelings. Mm. And uh, St. Luke. Yeah. So and, good. And that just reminded me, like, you know, that is really a depth of character is being able to say something to somebody that you know they're not going to want to hear um, because you've been there and you see them going down that path. Uh, that's going to lead to destruction. So, um, yeah, setting boundaries. Um, and Like not you... talking to the bottle. It's a big one for me. Yeah. I will not talk to people that are intoxicated. And that Won't doesn't do mean it. that you're not nice or no. you don't care for the person because the person who is drunk who calls you is not going to remember that conversation anyway. And you are not going to make sense to them when they are intoxicated. Mm -hmm. So just say, call me tomorrow and hang up. And you can call them tomorrow and say, hey, how you doing? You called me last night. Do you remember that? Do you want to talk? I'm here. Let's go to a meeting. It's, we have to be selfish in our sobriety and put ourselves first. And if I'm going to indulge someone in their addiction, I'm putting myself at danger. That being said, there's a very different, we're playing a very different game when we're new in sobriety and when we've had years and we know what it's like to do service and we've been in 12-step calls and we've been to shelters. Like there's a very big difference between someone who's armed mm-hmm. and someone who's not. But at the same time, I may not ever be okay to do 12-step calls. That might not be a thing for me. There are lots of people that are meant to do that, especially the old timers. Man, they know how to do 12-step calls. Yeah. 12-step calls being going to a person who is very active in their addiction and is either at risk to themselves or other people and trying to bring the program to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am far more well-equipped now than I was seven and a half years ago, but it doesn't mean I'm gonna go into the fire. Right. Because I know what's okay for me and what's not. And I've learned that over the process of recovery. Exactly. And that's how we came to these um, awakenings or decisions was because we have been there too. Uh, We have had these experiences. I remember the first time one of my sponsees phoned me drunk. And they would not admit that they were drunk, but they were very clearly (laughs) drunk. Um, And I was on the phone with this person for such a long time that halfway through they got a call from somebody else on another phone and they put my phone down where I'd been trying to, you know, talk them off the ledge, getting them to, you know, put the booze down. And they started having a conversation with somebody else and forgot that they'd been on the phone with me. Nice. And that really, you know, sent that message driving home to me. See, they have no idea what's going on right now. So nothing I said mattered. It didn't matter if I stayed on the phone or didn't. I called my sponsor right away and 
said, this is what happened. And he said, you know what your mistake was? You stayed on that phone call um, 59 minutes too long. Yeah. Or 59 minutes and 45 seconds too long. You should have just, you should have hung up. And I had that same frame of mind. Like, well, does, does that, doesn't that, isn't that cruel? Doesn't that, aren't they reaching out? No, they're drunk dialing you. Yeah. You know? And, and there's also, um, for people that constantly throw themselves in the middle of the battle, you have to ask them, what, how is this feeding you? Because I know people who have zero mental emotional capacity to jump into the middle of other people's battles, but they do. And then they're ruined and they do it over. And one, I have a person that's very close to me in my life who does this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you have no right jumping in there, but what is it doing for you? Why do you keep doing that? And it's feeding something in her. Yeah. I think it can also um, keep you off of your own Ah, game, right? Very nice. If you are focusing on someone else's addiction and you're jumping in and trying to be their savior, then you don't have to look at your own shit or so so you think. Um, but like you said, there's something that should say a lot about you, you know, um, I, I can't save anybody, you know, when people work with me and they stay sober and they say, thank you so much. You saved my life. I say, no, I didn't. It wasn't up to me. I didn't save your life. I just shared what worked for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was between you and your higher power and, um, and the work that you did. That's what saved your life. Putting yeah. down the drink and doing the work. That's what saved your life. I just yeah. carried the message. Um, because that is a constant reminder um, of letting the ego go. I remember the first time I worked with somebody and they got sober, I went to my sponsor and I was all happy. And he's like, yeah, but you had nothing to do with that. I was like, what? <laughs> I had everything to do with that. What do you mean? I worked with this person all this time. And yeah. he's like, no, 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 no. I said that to the first person I ever saw at an AA meeting. She was my uh, my angel, my AA angel. And I saw her at a Christmas meeting two years ago. Mm-hmm. And I introduced her as the person that saved my life. And she was very much like, no, honey, I did not. And I felt like insulted because she just rejected a very big deal. Like that's yeah. a big deal to me. Because you feel so much gratitude. I do. Yes. And whenever I see her at a meeting and I'm speaking, mm. I always point her out. And I always like get very emotional and just look at her and say, thank you so much for what you did for me. You can still have that gratitude. Yes. Because she did do something. She did. She gave freely of her time. She did not save my life. Right. She was the tool that God used to bring a message to me. Right. So she had a part in it. Like I don't, me personally, I don't have this, I don't have that belief that I have nothing to do with anything and I'm all, I believe we are called and God asks us to and we Mm -hmm. either turn towards him and say, yes, I will do this or we turn away and say no. Yeah. So I think there is definitely some personal responsibility there in you are cooperating with God in order to help someone. But I don't believe all of the dues go to you. That's how I feel um, when I speak, when I get asked to speak. I'm not one of these people who hates being asked to speak. Me neither. I love it. (laughs) I love it um, because I know that it's not about me. And I'm always excited at the end of the meeting to see if anyone is going to come up and say something to me and say, oh my God, I, I heard exactly what I needed to hear or I felt like you were speaking directly to me because to me that is a power of something greater at work yeah and it has nothing to do with me because i don't know what i'm gonna say i you know the general gist of the the beginning the middle and the progression of my disease and the story um but the message comes out in a different way every time because i ask for help from my higher power and my my prayer is simply or my statement however you want to view it 
is simply at the beginning I say, um, you know, please help me uh, and speak through me, deliver whatever message needs to be heard tonight. Yeah, I say something similar. I say, I just try and open myself up and take all of me out so that he can indwell me and speak a message. And my favorite is when someone tells me what I said and I have no recollection of it because for me, and that's when I usually go, oh, well, then God said that. Yeah. Because I am a person with an ego and I will take credit wherever I can Mm -hmm. and I will remember brilliant stuff I said, but if I don't remember it, (laughs) it's not of me. I know this for a fact. Yeah. That's my favorite. That's cool. All right. Shall we wrap this one up? Sure. That flew by. It did. We have three more minutes, but I can't think of anything else to say. I'm just going to say something. Oh, oh. What, I, what I just thought about was it's one thing to speak at an AA meeting mm-hmm. where you get tons of feedback, you get validation. It's another thing to speak at like a treatment center yeah. where there's lots of people that are like on, I don't think they call it on the nod, like when you're on meds to help right. withdrawal yeah. and they're constantly uh, dozing off or they look like they want to kill you, or they can't stand being there. They get up and leave. Right? (laughs) Right. And so when I have sponsees that go and speak at a shelter or treatment center or a hospital Mm. or whatever, I always warn them beforehand, and I say, this is not like speaking at an AA meeting. It might be jarring for you the first couple of times because you're not going to get, typically you're not going to get the feedback you're used to getting. Yeah. But what I also love is often the person in the room that I think honestly wants to murder me the second I stop talking is often the person that comes up and says thank you. Right. You don't know what's going on in someone's head. Mm-hmm. I have a very serious resting face. Yeah. People often think I'm mad. Yeah. I'm just intensely listening. Mm-hmm. So it's good for me to be reminded that I don't know what's going on. True. It could be triggering for them, right? They're they're um, being reminded of all these things that they did too so they can have a very concerned look on their face because I, it maybe is the first time they're identifying. Mm. as an alcoholic or a person with an addiction issue like that look of sternness or pissed offedness is actually their first um, acceptance and recognition of oh my god I did that I did that I did that and I can remember that feeling hearing my story someone else say my story and that sinking feeling like oh maybe I am an alcoholic Mm. maybe I do have an addiction issue I guess I am in the right place. It wasn't her fault after all. Mm. (laughs) Damn responsibility. Yeah. It's hard to look at yourself sometimes. It is. All right. Well, I can't wait till the next topic. So let's get on to it. Let's get going. Thank you so much for listening. This has been Two Sober Chicks. That must be the bell right there. That's another email coming into the Two Sober Chicks at gmail.com account. Yay. Can't wait to read it and hear what you have to say about the show. And perhaps it's a new topic. We'll find out next time on Two Sober Chicks.